The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. If you love true crime podcasts, Podcast One is the perfect destination. We've got two awesome true crime podcasts trending right now, and you have to check them out. First up, based on the iconic series on A&E, Cold Case Files explore some of the most difficult-to-solve murders, which stymied investigators and went cold, sometimes for decades. Next up, Copycat Killers is the latest podcast from Reels and Podcast One. Every episode takes you behind the scenes of real-life murder cases, which copy memorable slangs seen in Hollywood movies. Check out both Cold Case Files and Copycat Killers, They're going to be your next favorite true crime podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and many of your favorite podcast listening apps. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. Wildcard weekend. What a weekend. It was. It was an impressive uh, week of games. All four games, pretty good, right? It's not... It's not usually the way it works out. There's they were dud somewhere along the line, but there were four very good games. There really wasn't this week. Absolutely, I think the here's the thing coming out of Wild Card Week. This happens every week because people live in uh, in their current state, recency bias. Right? There are teams that are going to come out of here with incredible hype. Like, look at those Vikings; they can go on a run, and the Titans; they can go on a run, and look at Seattle; they're going to do it, or Houston; they're they're all running into some buzz saws next week, and yeah. the Packers. Yeah, I mean, we said a week ago that I'm not sure. I, I think the divisional round is where we were going to get every team left is good. Yeah. Like really good. Um, the wild card, I thought there were a couple of sort of, you know, I don't want to say charlatans, but, you know, the fool's gold teams that probably shouldn't be in, didn't really have a realistic shot at a run at the, at the Super Bowl. Talking about the Eagles and Bills. We get rid of those with the wild card weekend. Now all we have left is quality teams and quality games. But a couple of upsets happen, so yeah. Let's go through. Let's go through the whole thing. Um, it is, I mean, the, the big overarching stories is this whole, uh, story is going to be this whole like changing of the guard. The Patriots are out, and the Saints are out. And even though the Saints haven't had the same type of postseason success as uh, New England over the years, there has been this feeling since 2017, like oh, they finally put a team around Drew Brees, and they had Minnesota Miracle in 17. The pass interference that didn't happen last year, the offensive pass interference that maybe didn't happen this year. The, I think the Saints, the Saints blew this one. I mean, they were 
they were bad. I mean, they they, they deserve to lose this one. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're going to have fewer lawsuits this offseason in <laughs> New Orleans as you did last year. They deserve to lose, but that's kind of like the big story. Brady's out. Breeze is out. The only Super Bowl winners left are Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and two-time champion Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, that's it. He's a two-time. He's got the most rings left, uh, right? Yeah. Jimmy Jimmy G. He's the experienced Super Bowl winning quarterback mm-hmm. of this group. Okay, um, but I think it's an exciting time for the NFL for all of those reasons. Yeah, I can buy that. Has everybody? You know, you've seen that list of AFC quarterbacks in the Super Bowl since two thousand one, right? Yeah, it's like three guys. I mean, you throw Gannon in in two thousand two, but it's Brady, Peyton, and Big Ben. Yeah, and all of them except for the one Flacco. Right. So we're going to have a new AFC representative, a quarterback. It's um, it's what we talked about a few years ago. This kind of like there's got to be new quarterbacks at some point. There's got to be this new breed in the NFL. And, and we're starting to see it. I think it's it's fun. Right. It's about time. It was Tannehill. And Tannehill. Joe Montana Hill. Oh, my gosh. Well, we'll go, we'll go through all. Let's let's start with the Saturday afternoon game. Buffalo Bills at the Houston Texans. This game, you know, the Bills were up 16 nothing. Mm. They were up and should have been up control. more. I mean, they were six. The, the fact that this game never became more than two scores, like the Bills ahead by more than two scores, was kind of crazy. They absolutely dominated the majority of this game. Um, so the difference between the Bills and the Titans was the ability to was the opposing team's offense. Okay, so we're going to get into the Titans game and how you know Derrick Henry carried them and all this stuff. They scored fourteen points on offense. Right. And if if the Patriots just put a drive together, all of a sudden it's like, well, the Titans just couldn't capitalize. You know, they just couldn't hold them. The Bills were in control of this game. And even uh, Brian Burke from ESPN made the, the comment. And I thought it was it was smart. It was essentially he tweeted. He was like, if you feel like the team that runs the ball and stops the run and if you feel like they have more success and they're winning games, it's usually because their pass defense stops somebody. It's usually because their defense Stop somebody. That's what this Bills game felt like. And it was kind of like the Titans game. The Bills game, they're sitting there at 16 to nothing. And it's like, all right, just hold on. Right. We have a good defense. You just got to hold on. And they and, and at some point it was like, actually, an incompetent offense is what cost them because all they needed to do is is score a little bit more. And they couldn't do it. Yeah, they basically had this game to win and didn't take advantage of it. And then ultimately, Josh Allen went insane. And gave Deshaun Watson effectively the opportunity to become a hero and make some plays and, and do things. And it was crazy because, you know, the Bills had complete control of the game, dominated. Deshaun Watson had not been playing well at all. And then in the space of like two plays, made the thing a one score game. And suddenly all bets are off because now the pressure's back on Buffalo to score again and buy themselves some breathing room. And they weren't able to do it and it gave Deshaun Watson, you know, enough opportunities to eventually make the absolutely ridiculous play of getting himself out of that surefire sack. Two guys converging on him like a pincer, spins out of it, delivers a pass into the flat, running back takes off. Tywan Jones takes off, makes a big play, puts him down, you know, close enough so they can score. Like, But this was all down to Buffalo just not taking advantage of their opportunities. And this was the game that, you know, we constantly harp on this idea of, you know, a lot of the times the box score will get you in the right ballpark of what actually happened, but almost every single play can, it can lie, right? Josh Allen had a game where everything he did 
when it was actually the opposite of the way the box score recorded the, the, the play. Yeah. Right. right? Like should have thrown a pick six. Bradley Roby drops the ball. Oh, for one incomplete pass. Next play puts it right through JJ Watts hands. We're not going to argue about this play. Oh, come on, Sam. That's not, we're not going to argue about this play. Puts it through JJ Watts hands. That's not even one of his four turnover worthy plays, Sam completed pass. Then throws a couple of absolute dimes. Receivers let him down on multiple occasions. Those are good plays. Just they, they end up recorded as incomplete passes in the box score. Late in the game, we get him attempting one of the most ridiculous laterals the game has ever seen. Like I've been preaching before that NFL players, they just need to embrace a little bit of rugby play, right? A little bit, tiny bit. Every now and again, just understand when a lateral would make sense. That play would have been seen as idiotic, even in rugby. No, you could tell, and I think uh, I think Sean McDermott said it after. You could tell the pressure he was putting on himself. Like he was just, I got to make a play, just trying to make a play, and the Watt play you're talking about wasn't one of his four turnover worthy plays. He had the drop pick six in the first, I believe, as one of them, and then, or maybe this was one. Let's say, let me see real quick. I'm watching. There was another play where he put the ball on Bradley no, Roby. It was hands. the dropped. It was yeah. the dropped pick six. Roby had two dropped interceptions. But of his four turnover worthy plays, there was the the lateral mistake in the fourth. But before that was the the sack or you know the fumble on the sack slash scramble. What I forget where he got in the line of scrimmage, but that was bad as well. And again, we had been saying all year he hasn't taken care of the ball all that well. His turnover worthy play percentage is high, but they'd gotten away from him. I think it was the Denver game where they had the game-winning drive, and he fumbled on that, but they just happened to recover it. Again, those are the types of things, um, just like the Drew Brees plays we're going to talk about. Drew Brees was throwing arm punts for the last three weeks that kept getting dropped. Yesterday, they, they didn't. So a lot of times, what you see on film, you know, that's the stuff that's more consistent and carries over, and sometimes the luck runs out. I think the luck ran out on Josh Allen's turnover-worthy plays. Yeah, I mean, but this was, it's just such a great example of this game of, Literally almost everything he did was recorded in a slightly different way than the, the in the box score. Right. This was a perfect case study of why if you're not going through and actually charting what a guy did, you might not be anywhere near what happened by just working through numbers. And that's almost regardless of what number you use, whether you're using box score or whether you're using advanced numbers, almost nothing. You actually needed to watch what happened to figure out what the hell was happening here. Because his best throws fell incomplete along the sideline. Was it John Brown? Uh, the pass uh, lasery through down the sideline just before the uh, just before halftime. I think his two best throws, he had that little crossbody throw back to Cole Beasley, which was pretty good. But I think his two best throws fell incomplete. And, you know, a few of his, you know, he had the drop pick six. Eventually the turnover worthy plays came back to bite. But yeah, he had four of them and he actually did get away with some of those. He did yeah. not take care of the ball. The threw a jump ball to his fullback in double coverage in overtime. Right. What the hell was that? That was another was one. A jump ball that was to the a one, fullback. Was that the other one that was in Roby's hands that he couldn't come up? With? I believe so. Yeah, I believe that was it. That so, yeah, was two, insane. Two fumbles, and then he, um, he like late in the game, he just imploded in terms of what on earth he was thinking. There was that. I mean, yeah, the jump ball deep down the field into double coverage to a fullback is just absolutely insane. You have the, no clue. The lateral play is even more insane. The, like I say, that would have been seen as idiotic even in rugby, right? That is those kind of offloads in, in contact are a staple of rugby because you can essentially draw two defenders, right? You can manufacture the guy outside you getting a free run because 
you essentially create, you take two guys to try and tackle you. And then as you're going to the ground, you can offload the ball to the guy that no longer has anybody next to him. And it's a free run. What you don't do is attempt to offload that in the contact. If you have almost no control over what you're attempting to do and you have to sort of flick the ball underarm backwards outside of you. Like there's a a New Zealand rugby player called Sonny Bill Williams, whose thing is offloads in contact, right? This is his, this is like what he just had a focus group. We just had a focus group that said, when you start talking about rugby, everybody leaves. That's not true. That's not true. The information has come through. Everybody loves it. I, I get emails about my minor league baseball stories and how more people tune in and the focus group loves that. They hate your rugby stories. Nobody's ever emailed you about your baseball career. That, that's that's false. The best they thing to come out have. of your baseball career was the fact that you got passed on 4,500 times in the draft. Um, Maybe stronger. Sonny Bill Williams, his, this is his thing, right? Offloading in contact. And he would have thought that pass was ridiculous. Oh, I get it now. Okay. Great. Yeah. yeah, Allen made some bad decisions and all that stuff. So but I would say he also say, made some fantastic throws some that he didn't get any credit for because his yes. receivers didn't come up. Like John Brown, the one on the sideline, where for some reason he jumped right at the end and couldn't get his feet down. Yeah, his, that was a dime. Another perfect Duke one. Williams <clears throat> in the end zone. Right, right. would have been a touchdown. Didn't count. Receiver yeah. couldn't come down with it. But this was a game where, like, you know, PFF has been lower on Josh Allen this year than most Bills fans um, because he can make those special plays. It's like, you know, he's, he's going to do it. He's going to eliminate the bat. But I tweeted after this game that Josh Allen is what would happen if Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, won a free wish from a genie and his wish was all of the physical tools he never had in his life. That's Josh Allen right now. Just insane YOLO lunacy, but with a cannon for an arm and big time, you know, yeah. athleticism. You end up with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now that's... You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick's done some good things, but at some point, that's not great. Ryan Fitzpatrick with, you know, an arm that's 10 times as good. Anyway, yeah, he had, Allen had not been making those special throws this year. And it's still been, you know, he's 0 for 6 on 20 plus yard throws again. Not all his fault. Just saying, but Bill's passing offense as overall was not efficient on 20 plus yard throws. Let's say that because it wasn't all him. And, you know, that was it. I mean, it's a story of the Bill season. And I think when you get into the playoffs, it's harder to, you know, sneak by good teams just by good defense, right? So um, I think the defense overall played played decent enough, and, you know, they, they were a few plays away from winning offensively um, with Josh Allen in that passing attack. Um, it is so funny how polarizing Allen is. It, it was the same thing during the, during the draft, and it, it is because I don't think there's ever been a quarterback that has such distinct tools like you're saying the laser for an arm the good speed the size the tools are so distinct but then the numbers from a pure accuracy standpoint if you could pure completion percentage standpoint in college you could find really hard numbers that said no and then tools that were as distinct as anybody else right so you either wanted you you either believed in one or the other right and then because we live in the social media world. Everybody at the first half, it was like Josh Allen could do no wrong. Like, Oh, he did have a drop pick six, but he could do no wrong in some people's eyes. And then other people were like, did you see the drop pick six? What's amazing to me is how, you know, we talk about recency bias and all that kind of thing. And, and the fact that the box score doesn't necessarily, this is why you need to chart these things, right? Because if you don't, people are so flat out stupid that they just forget things that happened five minutes ago. Right. 
So You're calling our listeners stupid? No, not listeners. Oh, other, other oh, people. Other people, okay, other people okay. out in the world, gotcha. right? If the, your mind works in such a highlight reel fashion, this idea of, oh, it didn't happen, so it didn't count, it, it immediately gets lost in the ether. So drop pick six, right, to uh, Bradley Roby. What was it? This was like from the shadow of his own goal line, like inside his own, whatever your own red zone is, yeah. if there's an equivalent. Um, you know, terrible play. Could have been six points the other direction, right? Dropped, didn't happen. Whatever you think about the, the batted pass J.J. Watt thing. But anyway, five minutes later, he makes a couple of dimes. And is it Mike Greenberg was out there going, oh, I was way wrong on Josh Allen. The guy's a stud. It's like we are five minutes removed from him almost putting six points up for the opposition through a terrible throw. But the guy dropped it. I, I don't know why. So people... it didn't happen. And in, like in five minutes time, everyone's going, wow, Josh Allen is amazing. I was way wrong on this guy. It's like, do you, I don't understand. Well, how did that fall out of your brain in it's actually, five minutes? It's actually exactly what he was. And so the, the place where we were wrong about Allen, I would say, in, in evaluation is that he hasn't been as efficient down the field. He hasn't been as good as we thought he would be in that area. He's been terrible. At that. And he's been better at the intermediate yeah. range. And um, again, Kev Cole wrote a really good article a few weeks ago saying, look, the Bills are doing a really nice job. Pass first offense, putting him in position to succeed. That first drive was spectacular. That was well done. It was misdirection. Allen on a design run, which was great. Um, they threw the ball to him. He's the best tight end in the AFC East, as I as I tweeted. I mean, he really is. Like, stack up the tight ends in the AFC East. It might go Dawson Knox, Josh Allen, Mikey Gusecki, whoever the Jets are trotting out there, right? Because Chris Herndon doesn't exist. And just keep leaning I know it's Ryan Griffin. And then whoever the Patriots are trotting out there. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are the best tight ends in the, in the AFC East. It just Josh Allen and Dawson Knox. It's constantly amazing to me how willing people are to forget plays that technically didn't happen because of something else. Uh, you know, like a def, like a defender dropping the interception. It's not. It's just the way the brain works, man. It's just the way that you just well, move this is on. Why from it. you know? Because you react. You react to the stuff that happens. If there, this is why. So when you record every single play, this is why the grade ends up dramatically different from what you remember. Because you like literally, it takes five minutes for everyone to forget that play even happened. But honestly, the the Allen detractors went the other way. They were like, "Oh, he didn't have a good first half. He had a drop pick six. And it's like, "Well, he actually had a drop touchdown right. too. Like, let's not forget both of those. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Weigh you them need, easily. The flip I mean, weigh them equally. We got a couple of dimes in here. Um, the other thing uh, to come out of this game, though, was Deshaun Watson was kind of crappy for most of the game, and then. Again, everyone's going to forget that because he went Superman late in the game. Now, our guy, Timo, you know, he was he was like, and I was I was actually thinking the same thing. The spectacular play that Watson made, right? It was an unblocked blitzer, mm-hmm. right? It's an unblocked pressure. And throughout the entire game, Watson was inviting pressure. I think we assigned three sacks to him in the game out of seven. And, you know, there could have been more. Um, there was some, the old line actually blocked pretty well on most of those sacks. It was, you know, Duke Johnson blew a, uh, blew a block and all that stuff. But Watson was certainly holding the ball too long. Um, we mentioned on the podcast, I thought we nailed this part too. I said, look, the bills are really good at taking away the first read. And that's what you saw. If Watson didn't have that first read there, he was inviting pressure. And that's why they got to seven sacks overall. When you see the unblocked pressure though. That is one of those things where the best quarterbacks usually have an answer for it. They've either changed the play 
They have a hot built in. They have something. And, you know, I think Timo said, hey, he's got to throw hot and this and that. And when you actually watch the scheme, there's no actual hot receiver necessarily. But there is a quick hitch that he could be hitting or he could change the protection, you know, and get to a quicker hitting play. That is, I think that kind of sums up Deshaun Watson. I don't think he, I don't know that he had the best pre-snap process, invited this blindside pressure that he was unaware of, where again, I think Brady, Breeze at their best and all that stuff, they just, they just, you know, throw a quick two-yard pass and you're like, oh, look at Brady and Breeze throwing easy passes. And it's like, no, that's good quarterbacking against a blitz, right? And Watson invites the pressure, which is bad, and then breaks out of it and makes a spectacular play. I mean, that that's part of his volatility as a player, right? That's not always going to work, but man, like he's one of those only guys that could take blindside pressure. And he's just, he's like, you know, big Ben trying to sack him sometimes different body type, but man, he's tough to tackle. And, you know, he rolls out of it, makes an incredible play. That's so, is that fair? Yeah. I've, I've thought this for a while that he is so much stronger than he looks. He really is. He's, he's listed at six two two sixteen, right? Which is, a, I mean, that's fairly small for a quarterback. When you consider that, you know, what is Cam Newton? Like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and 250 plus. Um, like Cam Newton obviously is at the extreme end of the scale. But 6'2", 216 is not a particularly big guy. But he has just so much strength through contact that I think it actually surprises defenders. They get to him. They expect to take him down. But he's just so much stronger than they're ready for. Like his, the play where he dragged them. Was he, he stopped just short, right? Or did he get into the end zone? Um, but he, just short, but yeah, he was. He trucked was the last man at the five and took that guy five yards essentially to the goal line. That, I mean, that guy, you should not be getting trucked five yards by a quarterback yeah. when they hit you. Like, it, it, he's, he's got a really good feel. So look, it, you take the good with the bad with Watson, right? I think for the rest of his career, if he doesn't solve the sack thing, I mean, there is this idealistic world where it's like, dude, just cut down on half the sacks that you take with a little bit of quick game, with a little bit of, um, you know, better job of blitz recognition or just get into that second read a little bit quicker. Cut down on those. That'd be great. But if it ever takes away his ability, his scrambling ability, which is spectacular, his outside the pocket stuff, which creates big plays, then, you know, maybe there's a discussion to be had there. Do you really want to, you know, do you really want him to become more conservative or do you always want to have those? Those hero Superman plays. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and but it's again, it's a case of you forget how much of this game happened. The other thing that was interesting is the adjustments that were made. The first half, the Texans essentially were lining New Hopkins up in the slot, trying to get him away from Tre'Davious White, which I thought in in practice, in theory, I should say, it's a great strategy. Sure, and then the second half, it wasn't working, so they went, you know what, screw it, we have an All Pro as well. Yeah. Let's put him on your All-Pro, and we'll see who wins. And Hopkins won. Tredavious White got beaten a few times, including deep, which was a you know spectacular laid-out catch for Hopkins to make. Um, but they just went, look, we've let's stop screwing around with this. Let's just make it simple. We'll give the ball to our best player, line him up where we want to line him up, and see if you can match him. Right. Um, and Tredavious White, as good a player as he is, wasn't able to do that for most for a lot of the plays. Hopkins officially four for four for seventy yards when lined up against Tre'Davious. Tre'Davious did have the forced fumble mm-hmm. early in the game, but yeah, there was no. It was just a couple short passes to Hopkins until they did start to you know open things up a little bit. 
uh, more so in the second half. So a nice adjustment there. In terms of most toolsy quarterbacks ever and, and polarizing guys, like is Josh Allen becoming Jay Cutler Mark II? Yeah. Because that was always Jay Cutler's thing, right? Yeah. So the incredible arm, more athleticism than you give him credit for. I can't remember how if they won early in his career. Denver? Did they win? Did they win a little bit? They won a couple. Not enough to. I mean, that was the years where it was the, the ass end of the Shanahan, Mike right? Shanahan era where he was winning, but not like they were winning like they were 500 essentially. Right. Which for a team that had been to Super Bowls was now considered Mike Shanahan's lost it. Time think, to make a change. I think Cutler's best year for us was 2008. And then you bring in McDaniels and the whole thing falls off a cliff. Which was 09. Yeah. Well, they moved him. They just got rid of him. They were like, we don't want you. Um, I think if we look back at Cutler, though, those early Shanahan years, knowing what we know about what Shanahan's done with the whole system, Shanahan to Kubiak and all that stuff, elevating everybody, maybe Cutler never was really that good. Right. But the story of his career was like... Which again would put him in the Josh Allen. Yeah. Maybe. The whole story of Jay Cutler's career is like, just get him an offensive coordinator, mm. right? And it's like Sam Bradford, well, different the, offensive coordinator. Like if you're the guy, um, they put him with Mike Martz. Oh, that's going to be great. Vertical right. passing game. We put him with everybody. Of, it was a decade of saying, this guy yeah. has all the tools to be great. If we can just get the right coach you know, around him, he'll finally get the best out of him. And it but, just never happened. The coordinator stuff's interesting, too, because remember, Mark Tressman was supposed to be like, he's the QB whisperer, right? Mm-hmm. He got Rich Gannon back on track in Oakland back in the early 2000s, late 90s. And 2013, somehow the Bears had incredible quarterback play between Jay Cutler and Josh McCown. Yeah. And it's like, all right, Mark Tressman, QB whisperer. And then that just like fell to pieces in 2014. Um, but Cutler just kept going from offensive coordinator to offensive coordinator. And look, here's the, here's the other piece of the Josh Allen puzzle that was uh, puzzling on Saturday. Key plays, he was taking sacks. Third and long in field goal range. Fourth in forever. That was terrible. Um, so I was actually, I had to make a quick, um, a quick food run during that time. So I went back and watched it later, but I was listening to our friend John Murphy on the Bills broadcast. And I, I don't know who the color guy was there, but they were saying, I don't, and I guess on the broadcast they didn't say this. They were saying that would be a great time to punt. Fourth and forever. There was enough time uh, to make a stop and get the ball back. And they just went for it. On fourth and forever late in the fourth quarter, Josh Allen takes the sack and they end up in Texans territory. Um, so there's a couple, yeah, a couple other questionable plays there as well. Um, game management, you know, situational awareness and stuff like that, where I think, you yeah. know, Allen still has room to improve. I mean, they went for a fourth and a mile and they were, in, they ended up closer to a safety than they did a touchdown on the play. That's yeah. how badly it went for Buffalo. Nicely put. Um, that feels right, right? Doesn't I mean? Yeah, no, it's, it's it's what happened. Isn't cut or isn't Cutler a pretty good analog for the uber toolsy quarterback who hasn't been able to put it together? And we're going to spend the next ten years saying next year's the year. Yeah, I think the other. I don't know if anybody had the dynamic of because we didn't have Twitter. I don't know if there was half the people saying, "Look, Cutler's good," and the other people saying, "Look, you know, he's not good." And and this is the whole thing with quarterback play, and this is why we do great every single play. Because consistency matters, and consistency is really just. There's also there's more, that just means that just means being good, that's right? The consistency, problem, right? There's more nuance than just good, not good. There's there's shades of gray. This in is the what middle. I try to tell you all the time. You you you're the big green and red guy. No, I'm you're the good, no good guy. I'm just well. I'm not good, no good. There's shades of gray in between, but there's also like no point in continuing with this. 
which is where a lot of those guys are. Yeah. So I think in the thing with quarterbacks is we say this all the time. You can literally take everybody's 10 best plays, feel pretty good about them. But, you know, it's it's the 500, 600 plays over and over and over again that do truly matter. Someone on uh, Twitter has just suggested something pretty horrendous. Um, said, when are we going to get the ultimate crossover event? Andrew Hawkins and Joe Thomas against Sam and Steve in a pickup game of basketball. That doesn't feel like it would go well for us. <laughs> and are they good? They must be good. They're four, they, both of them just retired from the NFL. I'm guessing they're pretty good. So, you're, so that would be a two-on-two game. Three former professional athletes and Sam. Joe, uh, Joe Thomas, second team IAFLDB. Um, Joe Thomas just lost like 70 pounds and is shredded. Oh, I would push him around. You, I would no. push him around. What's you he weighing now? Mind? I got him by like 40 pounds. <laughs> you do, and he would still kick your ass. Listen. Andrew Hawkins is like five foot six, and the dude could dunk over Oh, him. do you know how many times I would swat him? He would dunk I will over carry, you. Listen, I, look. He would posterize you. I got, new, I got new sneaks. I'm ready to go. You would be standing under the basket like this, and he would be over, like, Hawk legs. would not dunk would, over Legs me. spread, get, one arm. Get down out of here. We would be killed. That's my favorite thing over at the Y. To take you on my team, to be the underdog, uh-huh. no offense, to be the underdog and just try to will us to victory. I'm, Doesn't always I'm getting, work. I'm getting slightly insulted by that. No, but I need you to attitude. hit your shots. Listen, when I make a pass and I say, that's my assist, I need you to follow through and hit it. Uh-huh. When I say, that's my assist. I don't think long range shooting is really my game. Some games it is. So that's I need true. you. Look, yeah. we, we need you. You're we, Let's do it. I'm ready. I, no, that would, that would not go well for Dude, us. Joe Thomas, come on. What's he weigh? Two forty now. He's, I got forty pounds on him. Have you? He would murder you, Joe. We poured one out for Joe on the pod. We did, but he's like year. we always said that you know if you ever encounter someone that's actually like vaguely your size, he's not vaguely my size. He kind of is though. What's like, he, what six, is he five? Yeah, like six, 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 seven. Plus he's got those short arms. You know, <laughs> he's got those thirty-two inch arms. He can't. Didn't it turn out yeah. that that was always a mistake? I think it was like measuring? thirty-three. Yeah, I think yeah. he was fine. Thirty-three plus. He would kill you. All right. Well. We'll invite Hawk to the to the Cincy Y and uh, yeah, we'll, we invite guys the Tomahawk podcast to Cincinnati to the Y Central Parkway. I'll y. let you guys get in for free on my membership. We get free. So don't worry about that. Hashtag noon ball. We'll send you the Google invite. Just show up. Let's invite them. Actually. Yeah. Let's yeah. Throw them on the on, on the, the Google invite. Yeah. We'll, we'll send it over anytime you want to show up. We'll go through your PFF grades at the office after if you want. Ideally, the more the merrier so we can try and stack the teams in a way that we won't get murdered. But no, two sure. on two. No, no. Three former professional athletes and Sam all on the same court at the same time. Hmm. That's what yeah. I think. This is, it's an interesting, I mean, Joe Thomas was what, the fifth pick, fourth pick? Third. Third. Yeah. Um, Hawk went undrafted, right? Had to go through that fourth and long show. But he only got passed on like 254 times. You got passed on 4,500 times. Yeah. And I was never even in the pool. Three different drafts. Yeah. Three different drafts. On, so Hawk and I can relate. I mean, we're very relatable. Undrafted Why didn't you go on a reality show? I didn't need reality. I just did it on my own. That's my anything. reality. You got passed on and just quit. What do you mean I quit? I, You're I, sitting on a table next to me talking. No, I NFL went undrafted. I, I got passed over 4,500 times and then worked my way up. To what? Through the ranks up to AAA. I sat in a major league bullpen twice, legally, <laughs> in, a, in a spring training game. That's an incredible accomplishment. <laughs> they weren't even trying to kick you out. I know I never got into a game. Yeah. But I sat there with a real giant uniform on. <laughs> I didn't have my name on the back. 
it was just number 98 yeah. and I pulled it off a rack and it's just like a generic one that they give to just, you know, idiots that come up from the minors for the day. But major league player for two days of my life. That one kind of fit. Well. I, I had the major league spread. I got to eat the food in the clubhouse. That That's all legit. Huh. Okay. Spring training. Yeah. But all right. There's no way that uh, I hate talking about my baseball career. So there's let's no just, way the one that you got like off the rack fit well. That was a little. Yeah. Speaking of fitting well, it was not done by proper cloth. I, it was too wide. I teed that right. It up. was it's just still, terrible. Still took him a little while. What do you mean? It was great. It did not fit well at all. Unlike this shirt, which fits, which fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. Arm length. The body fits well. It's all from proper cloth. Propercloth.com slash PFF. You guys can also get these perfectly fitting shirts. $20 off if you use the promo code PFF20 over at propercloth.com slash PFF. You're wearing the cactus again today. Yeah, I like the cactus. I'm, it's, I'm taking a shine to it. It grows on people. So I figure if so I, I wear like it, it enough. Every time. That's yeah. what I'm saying. If I wear it enough on the podcast, it'll, it'll grow on the listeners as well. Um, I mean, ultimately, customization ability-ness yes. of the shirts is phenomenal. I like the variety that I've picked out. I know you, I mean... Speaks to your style, speaks to my style. I've mm-hmm. got blue, fifty shades of blue yeah, of in blue. all of mine. You've got cactus, you know, different yeah. you know, designs and cacti everywhere. It's made from the best fabric producers from around the world. Each one of their shirts goes through an extensive quality control testing process, so you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. It's over at Proper Cloth, and I really encourage you guys to go check it out. At least go play around, make a shirt. Mm. See what you can get there. Propercloth.com slash PFF. And when you go to check out, use that gift code PFF20. The shirts start as low as $80, which, again, means you can get a shirt for as low as $60 for high, high quality. See why Propercloth is the best custom shirt maker. Propercloth.com slash PFF. And tweet us your designs and we'll... Uh, yeah, I need some tweeted designs. Give away some free PFF stuff. We had one person... Speaking of tweeting at us, we had a bunch of people trying to figure out who it was is the uh, the faux insider. Yeah. You know, the guy that's just like, oh, I spoke to 27 GMs who think this one thing that I think and I'm going to create a story out of it. Mm. And it's all fake. Yeah. I think one guy figured it out. Oh, one guy definitely figured it so out. So you guys can do your research. Yeah. You guys can figure it out as well. Saturday night, Tennessee Titans 20, New England Patriots 13. All the stories coming out of New England. The dynasty is dead. And Derrick Henry is the big story, the big name everybody's talking about coming out of the game. But there's uh, there's some nuance to all that as well. This was a mixed weekend for me. I was two and zero on Saturday and zero and two on Sunday in terms of picks. How about that? Yeah. What, was, what did I end up? So this was I the upset. One, two and two, I think for me as well. But not in that order, right? No. Yeah. Um, win loss. Win loss. Yeah. This was weird though because this was the game that I. This was the sort of upset that I picked. Right. I yeah. thought ultimately which I think is borne out, the Patriots just aren't that good this year. No. Like, as much as their record Ultimately is impressive, they didn't play anybody. Like, their record is a cakewalk. You've got, I mean, real alarm bells were sounding when you couldn't beat Miami in Week 17, the game that they actually wanted to win. Right. That's a problem. Um, the Derrick Henry thing, he was basically their offense for the majority of this game. But it really came down to what we said. I mean, Tennessee made harder work of scoring points than I thought they might. Um, they had to rely on Derrick Henry as opposed to Ryan Tannehill for most of the game. Tannehill did make a couple of clutch throws late on, but ultimately it came down to the fact that the Patriots offense kind of sucks now. Um, yeah, they, you know. Brady has declined five years after I said it would happen. You nailed it. Uh, yeah, I was just early. He had uh-huh. a rough finish to the season, and I think the most alarming thing is 
he was only pressured a handful of times, like five times on the day. And they still had negative EPA from the passing attack, even from a clean pocket. Began the season with three straight games with a PFF grade above 80. Didn't have one after that. Yeah. So three straight games to open the season. And then from week four onwards, did not top 80 again for the rest of the year. I feel confident now saying that Brady is no longer going to reverse this and be the best quarterback in the NFL again after writing him off the first time. So I, I think ultimately he's what, 42 now? About to be 43. I would before still the be careful though. So I'm not saying he's done, right? Again, yeah. I didn't say he was done the first time. I don't think he'll be the top five. I'm not QB. saying he's done. I just think his time as being the best quarterback in the NFL is over, right? Right. And now. Because after you, last time you said he declined, he became the best. He was by far the best quarterback in the league for the next five years. Yes, that was a dent to my point. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but now I think he's reached the point where he needs help, right? So yeah. he can still definitely. And it's, this is kind of like Kansas City, Montana, right? It's not like he sucks. He's still a good quarterback, but he needs a bit more help than he needed before. For sure. So I think now Brady is still a viable quarterback, but you can't surround him with nobodies and expect him to win the way you could before. So the Patriots' real failing at this point is there was just nobody on that offense. They tried to get it done with this group of receivers that can't get open, a running game that doesn't really matter anymore unless you're going to crush it the way Tennessee did. And even Derrick Henry monstering the entire New England offense, they put up very few points. Yeah, and I think if when you look at you know Brady's career, um, there's been a lot of like, well, when he has Gronk, when he had Gronk, the numbers were through the roof. Hmm. But he, early in his career, it was, we talked about it last week, he was carrying a, you know, Deion Branch and David Patton and David Givens or whatever it was. Then he finally gets Moss and, you know, they break the league for a year and all this stuff. Um, when Gronk came in, we saw a bit of a rejuvenation and all that stuff. But when Gronk was hurt, you know, it was a little uneven. But there were also points in his career. 2016 was probably Brady's best throw for throw year. Didn't have Gronk down the stretch. They win the Super Bowl. They did have Martellus Bennett. But he's not Gronk. It wasn't yeah. even used like Gronk. Right. Right. 2017, they bring in Brandon Cooks, but they lose Julian Edelman for the season. He's an MVP, Brady, even without Julian, who's been so good for him. And then 2018, they win the Super Bowl with essentially Edelman at wide receiver and then Cordero Patterson and um, Philip Dorsett. If they said, and then, you know, a remnant of, of Gronk, right? So there were other points in Brady's career where the playmakers were awesome and they almost broke the league. And then there are other times when the playmakers he dealt with issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, he made 2017 made a comeback without Gronk in the second. He was thrown to nobody and made a comeback against the great Jags defense and the Super Bowl. Brandon Cooks gets hurt. There's still no Edelman and they still put up, you know, 500 passing yards, all this stuff. So he's overcome issues with playmakers in the past. Yeah. But the point is he can't anymore. It's tough to do it. anymore, Right. Um, and especially I think I really just think the tight end position, which He's always had Ben Watson, young, early career Ben Watson, or Gronk, Daniel Graham. Early, he always had some kind of tight end. Aaron Hernandez for a little bit. Martellus Bennett, like we said, he always had tight ends to throw to. And they trotted out the worst group of tight ends in the NFL this year. Yeah. Um, he's not coming back to the Patriots, right? He's so, going to play somewhere else next I think year. the more I think of it, I don't know why he wouldn't. Because, well, see, here's the problem, right? This is the, this first sort of... I guess Montana is one, but they had Steve Young waiting in the wings, but Brett Favre is probably the other one. The problem when you get a quarterback that dramatically exceeds longevity expect expectations, right? So quarterbacks used to start getting old and over the, over the hill at like 35. 
Now you've got Brady at 43 by the time this next season starts. Drew Brees, 41. Um, you've got these quarterbacks that are dragging this into their 40s. You got, and, but at some point, you know the end is coming, right? So you, you have yeah. this problem of when do we get out? Because, and Brett oh, Favre made this a nightmare. A because, yeah, Brett Favre made this a nightmare because every single offseason, he was like, well, I don't know if I'm coming back. I, we'll have to weigh it up. And, yeah. and at some point, the Packers are like, all right, look, you're out. I'm going to make the decision for you. And we got a better yeah. quarterback waiting anyway. Yeah, it's like, look, I'm going to make the decision for you. You're not coming back anymore because we, we need to put Aaron Rodgers on the field. So bye-bye, right? The Patriots don't have that situation because they haven't actually got a replacement for Brady at any point in his career. But at some stage, they have to be like, look, we can't keep doing this. Like, we, You at some stage are going to stop playing well, and we can't wait a year past that point. We have to move on at some stage. So I think this makes the fact that his contract is in such a way that he has to become a free agent, even if it's only for five minutes. This seems to me like a really natural parting point for these two. Like the Patriots get a chance to go, all right, he's 43 next year. He's probably not going to be very good. And he gets a chance to say, all right, you want to, I'm going to move on. I'm going to get the the contract somewhere else. The two year deal with the chargers or whatever. And roll. I, I just don't, from Brady's point of view, I don't know if he's going to look at the situation and see what am I going to find that's better? Because I could also, I could also see. I mean, from a receiver standpoint, in a lot of places. Well, well, the thing is, if you look historically through the Patriots and who knows what they end up doing here, like 2006, right before they got Randy Moss, was a year they were like, man, Brady was throwing to nobody. They made it to the AFC Championship. They lose to the Colts. If they had gotten through that game, they probably would have won a Super Bowl with like Rache Caldwell and Jabbar Gaffney. And and it was at that point, it was Brady's worst season. Statistically, mm-hmm. he was really frustrated. And they were like, all right, break Randy Moss, Wes Welker completely fixed the offense. I know he's 40. He's going to be 43 next year. But is it crazy to think that him and Belichick and, you know, they just sit down like, look, Belichick's going to acknowledge the weakness on the team, which was offense go all out. And it's not like they didn't try this year. They tried with Antonio Brown. They tried with Josh Gordon. They just failed. They tried with Muhammad Sanu. They just failed. But is it crazy to think that they just go all out trying to bring in playmakers? And then Brady looks at this and says, okay, I can either go somewhere else, potentially a new system, new scheme, unfamiliar territory, new head coach, all this stuff. Or now I'm going to trust these guys to, to build around me this year because they saw how bad it was this year. Yeah, I mean, it's not impossible. I think the other thing that goes uh, in the favor of him leaving is McDaniels probably will, right? He's going to be one of the top head coaching candidates this time around again. He almost went before. This year seems like a year he might depart as well. But then every other team has the same issue, right? Does Josh McDaniels want to start his rebuild with a 43-year-old quarterback? He wants to build something long-term. He's probably not going to a place where he's trying to win now. No, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying Brady will go with McDaniels. I'm oh, no, but no. So if he leaves, out, yeah. right. that's a thing against staying in the familiar confines of New England, right? I, I just don't see. He's less familiar with a new guy coming in. I just don't. He's not going to go play for Bruce Arians in Tampa Bay. Correct. There's no, there's no fit there, right? Going to the Chargers in that horrendous offensive line, even though they've got playmakers and Brady will protect him a little bit with a quicker passing game. I mean, Keenan Allen, free agent Hunter Henry, Mike Williams. Enticing offensive line, no. You know where else is it? Chicago, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, Roethlisberger might not come back. He says he's coming back. Sure, 
people say a lot of things. I haven't thought of Pittsburgh. People brought up the Colts. Yeah. There's still probably some bitterness from Deflategate and that whole organization. That sure. would be fascinating. They, the Colts are a very, you know, we've built this thing to win, and now our quarterback walked away, and Brissett can't. So, I, so I've been see in— See what Brady can do for two years? Playmakers are just as bad over there, though. T.Y. Hilton, they got some playmakers. They're all right. And then, so, the thing I'm—I've been saying is the whole, like, well, finish your career in a dome, make it a little bit easier on yourself, throwing the ball around. That makes Indy Dallas— you know, I don't think Dallas is going to no. make the short-term decision to go for two years of Brady versus a long-term contract with Dak. No. By the way, Mike McCarthy now taking over yeah. in Dallas. Officially. Brady can throw slant flat, though. That's, hmm. that's the staple there. Um, yeah, I just don't know where the other... Who am I missing? I had that conspiracy of uh, going to Atlanta, flip Matt Ryan for a whole bunch of stuff, bring in Brady and McDaniels in Atlanta hmm. in the Dome, but Dan Quinn's going to be back. Who else needs a quarterback? I mean, you got the Redskins. But you're not going to go just try to turn them around. Detroit's not going to move on from Matthew Stafford, I don't think. No. Go to the Jets. (laughs) Uh, Fuel that rivalry. I mean, do the Raiders move on from Derek Carr? John Gruden brings in the uh, savvy veteran. The hometown, you know, the return. The Vegas sell some tickets. Oh, no, not hometown. He's not going to the Bay Area. The Raiders. No. Vegas sells some tickets. John Gruden likes his old veteran quarterbacks to get things done. Team that just beat him, the Titans. Mm-hmm. Tannehill's a free agent. They'll bring they'll franchise. They'll bring Tan, they'll bring Tannehill back. Right. I mean, there's not a great Breeze and Brady could just flip, go to New Orleans. <laughs> I, Breeze yeah, to New I England. Mean, I think we just I I think he's probably gonna end up playing a year more for somebody else. And you know, that's how that ends. The, 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 the thing that would lean, push me in that direction is what his dad said years ago, where he just said, it's going to end poorly. And that was, that's Brady's dad. Essentially, always end poorly. Well, that, that was his point. He was just acknowledging, you know, for it not to end poorly, Brady would have to hold off the decline a little bit longer, have the right playmakers in place. And then just, you know, if they were continuing to go deep into the playoffs for another couple of years, then they would say, you know what? There's a chance for us to go out on top, like to finish with a Super Bowl. And I mean, honestly, I, I he'll never do that though, because he's like, I want to play it on fifty. Yeah. So every are, year, I'd be like, oh, I can, I can do it again next year. It, it feels like a nice, you know, point to cut ties. But I also think if people don't think that the Patriots could regroup offensively yes. next year, I think they definitely can. Their problem though is a fairly consistent inability to actually acquire. Talent. So, okay, the Antonio Brown thing went south, right? But you can, you, there was a lot of writing on the wall that that was not necessarily the greatest move in the world. Like, the I guy, also think it was like worth the risk. That's one of those, sure. like, if it pays off, it's incredible. If it yes. doesn't, it's like, all right, we kind of, I'm fine it. with that. But that's another sort of, all right, you probably should have seen that coming. Yeah. If, like, if that was your plan, if you needed that to be successful this year, it was a problem, which was ultimately the situation they found themselves in. Um, the Nikhil Harry thing. Like if he doesn't dramatically improve in the off season, which is possible, like the guy was injured for a lot of this year and you know, yada, yada, yada. But this, every ounce of tape from him suggests that he can't get open, which is a problem for receivers. He had eight targets in this game, which was three more than anybody else for the Patriots and caught two passes for 21 yards Had a drop in there as well. Yeah. Like Nikhil Harry's, the fact that he was the guy that tempted you back into the first round to draft a receiver 
blows my freaking mind and could be a real problem because first rounder, I mean, the Patriots are better at this than most teams, but first rounder, you're kind of invested in them. You have to keep trying to get them to succeed, but he at the moment is a detriment to the offense rather than a boost to it. Especially seeing the other receivers around the league. Right. It's made to look even worse by those guys. DK Metcalf would never would have been a fit there, but AJ Brown would have benefited Terry McLaurin, all these other guys, Debo Samuel, who again thought he was going there. Um, so there's certainly some personnel moves that could have gone the other way and and made this look a little bit better. Um, just to compare Brady, and we'll talk about Breeze in a second too. Brady's decline compared to say Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning showed signs of a decline in 2014. That's one where I think we nailed it from a grading standpoint. The second half of his 2014 grading was not good. The stats were fine. Mm-hmm. And then it was literally off a cliff in 2015. You could physically see differences in his arm and all that stuff. Brady, I think, you know, he still fires a few lasers out there, right? The, the arm's not, it, when you have time, or he threw the Hail Mary 60 plus yards in the air. I mean, the arm itself isn't the worst, but I think the, the physical decline stuff is when you just, when your feet aren't set, the zip's not there as much, or the accuracy's not there as much. That's what I noticed more with Brady is when, you know, I'm going here and here, and I, you know, sometimes, you know, I could throw a little bit off balance, and he just wasn't doing it as efficiently this year. And there's rumors that he had an elbow. And again, is that like he was battling through injury? Therefore, that's why performance went down or he's battling through injury. That's because he's 42. That's always going to be the case, right? You have to be hurt if you're that old at this point. So there's still some question marks, I think, to Brady's game and what they're capable of going forward. This game was also interesting because from a schematic point of view, the Patriots basically just couldn't stop the Tennessee run game. So Derrick Henry ran riot, but they changed up a bunch of things in terms of trying to stop that, uh, the run, they went to that, you know, weird Super Bowl front where they basically play six guys in the line. Yeah. I thought, I thought Romo did a really nice job of, of breaking down that schematic change. And they did slow down Henry until when Tennessee was trying to run the clock out, they, you know, Henry in the Tennessee offense won again. Right. And the problem with that six man line thing is somebody still needs to win. Oh, yeah. And that was right. the issue, right? So they, they went to the, the system that should stop the run, basically just crowd the line of scrimmage with bodies. But the Titans run blocking just crushed the Patriots defense. So there were multiple plays where they took guys five yards off the line. And at the point you're doing that, it doesn't matter what front you're running, you're losing because you're going backwards at a rate of knots. Derrick Henry is then hitting the line as a 250 pound monster with a head of steam, at which point that's going reasonable distance. The head of steam that he got now, he, he picked up like 140 yards after contact, which was great, but let's give credit and blame also where it's due in the trenches. If you look PFF premium PFF elite, go check it out. Premium stats 2.0 and go check the run blocking grades by the Tennessee Titans. Taylor Luan, 87, Roger Saffold, Ben Jones, Nate Davis, and Jack Conklin all in the green plus they all graded extremely well in the run game. And then when you get Henry just two or three yards of room due to the good blocking, he did the rest and he yeah. dominated on the other side. You were telling me about how just bad Dietrich wise was Dietrich wise. Yeah, he was, you know, he's kind of an edge defender that has had to, you know, go up against guards and tackles in the run game this year. And that was a disaster for that defensive front the other night, 27 grade. As a run defender, Lawrence Guy, who's usually an excellent run defender, 34.8. Now, I tweeted out, I think New England would be happy if Henry, they'd, they're okay to give Henry the 100 yards if they could slow the passing game. 
Yeah, I mean, so their defense did fine. Um, Ultimately, they gave up only right. 14 points. It did get run over by Derrick Henry. But honestly, in the world of what would you rather get beat by, this is what you want. They shut down A.J. Brown. Um, like Stephon Gilmore did a really good job on him. Ryan Tannehill made a couple of throws, but the way he's been playing this season, that's probably inevitable, right? He had a bad interception. He had right. a dropped fumble. I dropped so uh, snap. He did a really reasonable chance of slowing this offense down. The problem was not the Patriots' defense. It held up as well as you would have expected a defense to hold up, albeit they struggled against Derrick Henry. The problem is that, in response, the Patriots' offense basically couldn't score. Yeah, Patriots receivers, 7 for 21 when targeting Patriots receivers. Yeah, that's Edelman, Harry, Philip Dorsett, Mohamed Sanu. And that was the story of the game. Yes. And again, the Patriots were driving. Edelman drops up. This This was kind of the story of the season, too. Brady's not playing well, but he makes a nice throw beyond the sticks. Edelman drops it, right? Then they have a third down. Brady misses the throw. That has We've said this over and over again. It's like the Patriots needed everything to go right offensively, and everything started to go wrong. So A bit like Josh Allen, his best throws fell incomplete. Yeah, and that was it. Missed other ones he shouldn't have made, and um, that was the end of the story right there. Um, it does feel, I mean, the narrative's strong. New England, dynasty's over, all this stuff. It's probably it's it's probably a little too early to declare that, but there's a lot of pieces in place as far as Brady's contract being up. Edelman's getting old. I mean, there's a lot of things happening here. Devin McCourty's a free agent. Yeah, I mean, they now have real issues in terms of what is the future. What does the future look like? Because for years they've been essentially putting off Tom Brady's replacement, and now now a there's still no replacement. Um, B Brady is now a question mark both in terms of he's a free agent and in terms of even if you bring him back, how good is he? So for the first time in like 20 years, quarterback is a major question mark for the Patriots, in addition to the other things that are problems, right. like the fact that you have no receivers and the fact that some of your best players are free agents. Right. Like they, they have question marks in an offseason in a bigger way than they've had for like two decades. Pretty much. Which is the reason. I mean, it's not to say that yeah. the, the dynasty is over. Because they're answerable questions. Like you can patch this back up and go again in 2020 and still be really good. But they have more questions heading into an offseason than they've had for the better part of two decades. Yeah, and I think the thing on top of that is even if you do say, okay, we're going to give it one more shot, Brady and Edelman and all that stuff, re-sign McCord, whatever they do, you're still talking about aging players. So even if you do support them with incredible players around them. Yeah, it's still a limited time thing. But it's still like... Edelman was playing through a ridiculous amount of injuries. Relying on these guys getting through the season is risky as well. So um, let's discuss Tennessee. A lot of New England talk here. Tennessee, we'll talk about them, obviously, in their matchup against Baltimore. But my big statement here is Derrick Henry's not going to win the game against Baltimore. They have to score more than 14 points offensively. Derrick Henry was awesome, by the way. Tennessee's offensive line was awesome. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to tackle Derrick Henry. He is a force with the ball in his hands. But if Tennessee is going to upset Baltimore, that pass game needs to play like they did in the regular season. They need to make some plays. Well, yeah, I, mean, I think the bigger question for them is their defense has to step up. So you're right. I don't think to, I don't think that their run game is going to have nearly the same success because instead of guys that are going to get moved off the line, Baltimore specifically has a couple of monstrous defensive linemen right up the middle. Michael Pierce, Brandon Williams. That'll be a good matchup. Like they have they've stacked three hundred and thirty pound nose tackles in the middle, specifically to so you can't do this right. 
Then they've got some pretty good players around the edge as well. It's going to be way harder to run the ball. On the back end, in case you're wondering if the passing game can pick up the slack, Baltimore have specifically gone out and assembled one of the better secondaries in the NFL. So the passing game might not have any better joy than it did against New England. Um, So if you assume that Tennessee's offense will do at best the same, you know, 14 points, yeah, like they're going to score like maybe 20 if things go well, 2021. Now you're going to need your defense to hold the Baltimore offense to the same kind of total. And that's way harder because the Baltimore offense has been nigh on unstoppable all season long. That defense needs to take a massive step forward or come up with a special game plan to slow down Lamar and the Ravens if they're going to keep in the game. Yeah, we'll get into the weeds on the Titans Ravens later in the week as we preview the divisional round. Before we get to Sunday, though, Sam, our friends at Manscaped. Yes. Special sponsors of the podcast. It's 2020. And you know what that means? New year, new me. New balls, Sam. New balls. That's what's happening here. (laughs) Manscaped.com. The very best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Mm. What I love about this particular read. So people that don't know how, you know, podcast advertising works. This isn't a read. This is a lifestyle. This is true. You tend to get these sort of one-pagers that give you a little bit of bump about the, the, whatever the company is or the product is you're endorsing. Um, you can get the the thing that you're supposed to read, like the link and the promo code and all that kind of thing. And, you know, transitioning from the NFL into Manscaped can be a little awkward, Steve. I don't know if, I don't know if you noticed that. It can no, be a little tricky. I don't, how do you go from, <laughs> how do you go from Tom Brady's deflated balls to, uh, oh, gosh. to Manscaped? It's apparently, a tricky, it's a tricky thing. Apparently you just did it. I, I apparently, I, I don't know how we didn't think that that was a transition every <laughs> week, but my favorite thing about this is. So, you know, there's a, there's, how do you make that transition, right? Idea, ask co-host or guest if they've trimmed their balls recently. I don't know why you didn't, why didn't, why didn't you lead in with that? Have you trimmed your balls recently? <laughs> uh, I, so, no, no, I haven't, Steve. I haven't. So haven't you're not helping recently. sell the product here. Well, you're I'm not. helping sell the product, but without having trimmed my balls recently. So here's the, here's the deal. Everybody that's listened to this podcast probably needs this. I can't wait till we get guests on and lead them in with that. They'll help us sell it. Yeah. Tony Listen, Romo, have you trimmed your balls recently? Everybody probably needs this. Why do I ask you say? And I'd say 90% of the people listening need this. Yes. Only because you're probably doing it anyway and you just don't have the tools for the job. Uh-huh. The tool for the job is the lawnmower 2.0. Yeah. Because of its proprietary skin safe technology. So this trimmer will not nick or snag your nuts. Mm-hmm. That's Indeed. it. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. You need it. It's the best in the business at what it does. And it also comes with other stuff like the crop preserver. That's the anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Yeah. All of its stuff. All of it comes together. 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code PFF at manscaped.com. The packages and stuff, pun intended, are pretty spectacular as well. They come well put together. It comes with a little newspapery thing with comedy articles and stuff. So it actually does make a great gift. Um, both for comedy purposes and for actual, you know, use purposes. Um, well, pe- and people are using like face, you know, like real, you know, face trimmers, face trimmers on their balls. Yeah, that that's a bad idea. No, do that. that's why this, that's why this was invented. Yes, the lawnmower 2.0, which so, if you go to their website, manscaped.com, S-C-A-P-E-D, um, there's like a side-by-side comparison over lawnmower one. On lawnmower 2.0, the upgrades are spectacular, Steve. 
Spectacular upgrades. Spectacular upgrades from one to two. Yes. So, so manscaped.com, use promo code PFF, get yourself 20% off with free shipping. Oh, wow, that's cool. Do it. Free shipping, 20% off, manscaped.com. Do it now so we can keep reading these things because they're amazing. Thank you, Manscaped, for being here for all of us. Next week, we'll ask Steve if he's trimmed his balls recently. No, I'm, I'll lead in with you. I'll ask you. And you'll just say no again. So you're supposed to say yes. And maybe I'll say, and next, maybe about... I'll say yes next week. All right. Maybe I'll have a funny manscaping story. I hope you do. Vikings at the New Orleans Saints, 26 to 20. In overtime, the Vikings win. You didn't think they had any shot. Like you wouldn't really even, didn't. you couldn't even put the hat on of NFL analyst and come up with a way that the Vikings were going to win. You just kind of wrote it off. Yeah. And now, wow, do you look silly? <laughs> well, yeah. So the, the way that I came up with for them to win was like everything had to go right. And that's not how it worked. What I hadn't actually factored in is the idea that the Saints offense would suck. Yeah. Um, so credit the Vikings because. This is a weird game, right? Obviously, this went completely different to how I had anticipated it going. But they did come up with a really good defensive game plan to slow down New Orleans. On the other hand, the Saints did a lot of bad things on offense and didn't take advantage of some gaps that were there. So the Vikings, in the lead up to this game, basically lost everybody that could play slot corner for them, right? Mackenzie Alexander goes down, Mike Hughes goes to IR. They're literally without a slot corner heading into this game. Michael Thomas had the second most yards per route run of any player in the NFL from the slot this year. The only one with a higher one was George Kittle. So Thomas is essentially the best slot weapon in the NFL. That right there should have decided the game, right? Thomas is a guy that gets fed the ball relentlessly. He should have had 20 targets in this game. Yeah, but I mean, but Minnesota did their usual, like a lot of, you know, two high looks and quarters and, um, zone underneath look. So when you're when you have an Anthony Barr walked out on Michael Thomas, it's more of a zone look. It's not like he's trying to cover him one on one all the time. Right. Right. Anthony Barr against Michael Thomas, even in the vicinity in his own look, is still wide the hell open. No, I get it. But I, I thought that the Vi- what the Vikings really did, and we've we've talked about the game plan against the Saints for a while that Rams kind of implemented in the N- NFC championship is play hard on the underneath stuff, make Breeze throw the ball over the top. Right. Not that he can't do it because they had that busted coverage, Taysom Hill touchdown, 20 yarder and all that stuff. But just just take away the underneath stuff and just give them some lower percentage shots down the field. They did a really good job of closing on the screen game. It was like there's a lot of plays when you watch the Saints. You're like, man, they got a guy into space again. There's Kamara in space. There's Michael Thomas in space. And then they pick up 15 or 20 yards. But the Vikings, when you're just watching the broadcast, it's like, oh, they did it. Saints did it again. But the Vikings were closing quickly, making tackles and limiting some of those yards after the catch opportunities. Yeah. I mean, but Thomas had eight targets, caught seven passes for 70 yards. He was being covered largely by Andrew Sendejo, a backup safety. Oh, I get it. On paper, it's it's a terrible matchup for the Vikings. Um, It was also a weird decision to to go with that in the first place. Um, Like Andrew Sendejo is a former starting safety for the Vikings, went off to Philadelphia, I think, came back because they cut him. Um, now he's like their backup safety. He, you talk about setting players up or putting them in a position to succeed. That dude was set up in this game to fail. He was asked to basically play slot corner because they ran out of slot corners. Right. Um, and he did a really good job of holding up. Like he had some plays where he was legitimately one-on-one against Michael Thomas. against Jared Cook. They just want a more physical 
bigger body presence on those guys? I don't know. I just, I guess they were in a position of, I don't know who else we put out here, but he's going to be the guy. Um, and he did a really good job. I did not expect him to hold up as well as he did. Right. And that was kind of impressive. Now, um, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned Drew. We, we said Drew Brees because we're looking at the grades. Drew Brees actually struggled the last two games of the season against the Panthers and against the Titans, despite the box score looking spectacular. And somebody asked, I remember in the YouTube comments, of, what was wrong with the Panthers game? Well, he, he had two really bad misreads that should have been picks that weren't. One of them was like an arm punt right to Trey Boston. And then the next play was the the easy 50-yard touchdown to Taysom Hill kind of skewed the stats. Well, Bree, this was the point of the grading versus the results here. Breeze threw the same arm punt yesterday. The difference was Anthony Harris made him pay. He looked like fits on that one. That was like full wind-up and just floated it up there into double coverage. An uncharacteristic bad decision that he's been kind of showing the last couple weeks. So he put the ball in harm's way there. Then, you know... Vikings fans this whole time are just like, all right, how are we going to blow this, right? Mm. Is that the... Well, and they, they tried. They, they should have won this game more comfortably than they did. But, but even then, when you're like, okay, Drew Brees is down 10 in the fourth at home, he's going to make this comeback. Mm. Then it's 20 to 17. Right. But then Brees fumbles the ball. Yes. Too. So that's another thing. Ball. Another thing that was huge in this game was Minnesota's pass rush came up pretty big. Um. This was one of the matchups to watch heading into this game, particularly Danelle Hunter going up against Ryan Ramchek. Ramchek hadn't given, given up a sack all season long, given up like 20 total pressures in 16 games. So he was playing, he was, he's our number one graded right tackle in the, uh, in the season. Danelle Hunter got him for two sacks. The first one absolutely wrecked him. Um, big plays. Everson Griffin, they were moving around the line a little bit, lining him up inside. He was destroying Andres Pete um, before Andres Pete, Andres Pete went down. Those two guys, like they didn't get a huge amount of pressure, but they got four sacks. Those are big plays, um, and that was a big part of this game plan. Uh, the you, Drew Brees didn't look good at all. They're basically, Taysom Hill was their offense. Like he accounted for forty percent of their yardage, and he played twenty three snaps. Um, if they didn't have him on the field, they wouldn't have got anything going. But the Vikings, they were interesting because the game plan they had coming into this game was phenomenal. They really did a great job limiting what the Saints want to do. They, despite being down on bodies, had a great game plan to shut the Saints down. And then the in-game coaching decisions in terms of clock management, in terms of when to go for things, were all awful. Like It was like they were trying, as soon as they got themselves a chance, they were trying not to lose the game. Even early, they're what? They're down seven towards the end of the first half. They won the toss and elected to receive the ball, which nobody does anymore. No. So they're going to they're about to turn, give it back to the Saints to the start of the second half down 7 instead of going for it because they lose 2 yards on say, or 2 yards on third down. That's like all right, kick, kick the field goal. You're you're like, you know, you're significant underdogs. You're already down 7. You're about to give the Saints the ball back to start the second half because you made a crazy call with a coin flip. Like going for, you need to go for this. Instead they kick the field goal. And instead of being punished for that conservatism with the Saints driving down and putting more points on the ball or on the board to get the ball back again, they get the pick. They get rewarded essentially for the conservative decision. Anthony Harris snags that pick and changes the complexion of the game completely. Then late in the game, same deal. You turtle up, you go completely conservative. That's the one that got me, right? Because when we talk about the run game here, we always talk about how much it's dictated by box count and all that stuff, right? Late in the game, when you're running your four minute offense, 
and you're trying to run out the clock, the Saints are going to make sure that they have the numbers advantage in the box, which means you have four minutes to run the clock out. The Saints didn't have all their timeouts. You are literally like two first downs away from winning the game. And if you think you're just going to run into a loaded box and pick up two first downs, right? you're, you're kind of crazy. And even in overtime, right? Okay, so they, they make the big play to uh, Adam Thielen, which is what we said had to happen as one of our things heading into the week, right? Yep. We weren't completely idiotic. We said, look, Kirk Cousins is going to have some deep shots. He's going to need to hit Got to hit those. And that was like, that's the one that put Kirk over the top. So great deep pass to Thielen, who does yep. a phenomenal job. So Thielen had a weird game as well, right? Because opening drive, you take the ball, which is, again, what nobody does anymore. You take the ball, the idea being we need to get out to a hot start. Thielen gets a catch, fumble, turnover, immediately your entire like purpose of starting this game just went out the window because instead of scoring on your first drive, you've turned it over, which I think they said was the third time this season the Vikings have turned it over on their opening drive. It strikes me as a lot. Yeah. Um, so Thielen turns it over, Gets called later on for a holding penalty to negate a Dalvin Cook first down. Now, holding felt a little weak there, but, you know, bad play. Drops another key pass. So he has, like, one of the worst first halves of anybody. Then becomes a player that great tracking of the deep ball, makes the big play, puts him in the shadow of the goal line. But nothing sums up the Vikings sort of in-game coaching decisions more than they, they won the game with a goal line drive that went obvious Dalvin run, stuffed, Obvious Dalvin run stuffed goal line fade touchdown like that. If those three plays in sequence are the worst possible play calls you could have for a team well, that like the Vikings, you couldn't well, have actually, telegraphed it anymore. And yet somehow, again, they get rewarded for it and win. We forgot to mention the in the New England, Tennessee game, that goal line stand, which was three worst play calls. It was run left. It was their little like wide zone left on the goal line. Yeah. Three straight times. And Rashawn Evans made right. the stop. Effectively the same thing. Though, yeah. Right? It's like, this is what we know you're going to do. Therefore, we're going to stop it. Running the ball there is fine. Like We love the run game inside the one. The risky part there is when you have one yard to go. Like if, if the Vikings had fourth and one in overtime, hmm. right, from the, you know, from the one, fourth and goal from the one, would they have gone for, for it? Or would they have just kicked the field goal, right? And then you say, okay, now we're going to play defense. 100% kick it. The way they were, but when you run, when you pick up a loss in the running game, you don't even get to that decision, which is why the fade, which works about thirty percent of the time, you know, it worked out this time. But that was like they were looking at having like a fourth and three, fourth and goal from the three, where they were going to kick a field goal, give the ball back to Breeze, and when you're an underdog like the Vikings, you're just kind of like, if you make it that far, it's like at some point you're going to run out of time. Right. But so that's why it's so important that Rudolph made that catch because they might have run, might have, might have just run out of time at some point. And so the end zone fade generally is a terrible play. Like you said, 30% ish success rate. Yeah. That definitely ticks up when you get the kind of physical mismatch they had on this play. You know, Kyle Rudolph, like 6'5, 260. He's a, he's a big guy. Have you ever stood next to Kyle Rudolph? I know you're a pretty large human. No, but I haven't. So Chase Young, yes. Yeah. Rudolph now. Kai Rudolph, you know, we, he, there was a few Vikings players that came to Dublin years ago when I was still in Ireland and uh, I met them and it went in sequence. It was Harrison Smith, John Sullivan, Carl Rudolph, right? And, you know, met Harrison Smith and you're kind of like, yeah, I mean, you know, you're not that much bigger than we are. Like, yeah. Mm. John Sullivan, same thing, right? NFL offensive lineman. You're like, I mean, okay, you're, you know, a little bit chunkier, but there's people in our league that look like you. 
move on to Kyle Rudolph. Ah, okay, yeah. Nobody in the IFL looks like that. There's nobody that looks of that human dimensions. It's, you know, 6'5", 260 pounds of chisel muscle. Like, yeah, those guys don't exist in this league. So he was going up against a DB that was like, you know, pretty small. That's a big mismatch. So I don't know how much that tilts that in favor of the offense, but it's probably significant. But it's still, it's, let's say it's a questionable call at best. You know, there are plays you can run from the goal line. You know, these pick plays that scheme a guy pretty wide open. Right. And instead, you basically rely on a guy being physically superior and winning a jump ball. Stop being so negative to the Vikings. Which they he was won. able to do. They did. They deserve to win. I, I think they outplayed the Saints. So I think their game plan was phenomenal. I just think it's remarkable that everything inside of the game was almost coached to erode the work they did leading up to the week. I was talking to George about this and saying it's almost like certain teams need they need like a specialist in-game decision maker that they can pitch it to once they've done the week's game plan. So yeah, sure. Mike Zimmer, Pete Carroll, the guys that do this, it's like, I'm going to put together the game plan. This will lead you to winning. Now you take over all the in-game decisions. I think specialization is really important. I mean, when you teams are hiring head coaches right now, right? They're hiring head coaches for various reasons, but the head coach job has a million different jobs, right? There's so many different things you have to do. You're the CEO of the team. Leadership is important. You have to just motivate people. This is why we said with the Pete Carroll caveats the other day, we're like, look, his in-game decision might, making might not be great. But is he the best like motivational coach, the best at getting the most out of his talent just from like a rah-rah play hard standpoint? He might be. But there's a million different jobs that the head coach has, right? So why not designate certain things? Like the guy that's the best motivator might not be the best in-game decision maker, might not be the best play caller, might not be the best game planner, right? There's all these different specific jobs. And I think that is why the best coaches are able to delegate properly or just un- or be able to take in all that information so that they can make better decisions, right? And that's that's what makes a good head coach. Good things for the Vikings. Um, Kirk Cousins overall played pretty well. Like he did hit those deep passes that they needed him to hit. He still is spectacularly weak in the pocket. Like there was a play. If you touch him, you're sacking it. Like he is not. Did you see that pancake he had? <laughs> My tweet went viral. Yeah, he's His lead not- block. You know, you look at, so Deshaun Watson, right? Two guys converge on him like a pincer, drill him. He ends up spinning out of that, making a play that wins the game. Kirk Cousins, like I thought initially, Trey Hendrickson sacked him, right? And I thought initially he was sort of driving his guy slowly back into him. I thought he got a hand over the top, you know, grabs hold of Cousins and Cousins like hits the ground. He didn't even touch him initially. Cousins felt the offensive lineman coming into him and turtled up. Like it's, it's just amazing how, you know, weak he is at that stuff. But did hit the throws he needed to hit. Adam Thielen bounced back from um, some ugly first half plays to be the guy that won the game for them. Him returning for them generally is huge. They've been without him for like half the season with that hamstring injury. Him being back in the fold is massive. Dalvin Cook was good. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't feed Stephon Diggs more. Like he was being one-on-one covered. Was he complaining covered. on the sideline? Oh yeah, he was pissed. Like to the point where... They, I think they ended up the very next play after I tweeted this, they hit him with a key third yeah, down. Two catches, 19 yards on three targets. Right. But he was getting pissed to the point where, like, why are you not drawing up something that just gives him the ball? Yeah. Like a bubble screen, anything. Like, he's getting pissed off to the point. Whatever you think about it, you know, diva wide receivers, he's one of your best players, right? And if he is losing his mind to this degree on the sideline because you're not giving him the ball, just throw him something. 
Give him a bubble screen. Give him anything to get the ball in his hands and say. I used to run end arounds and, you know, right. cousins lead blocking and all that you stuff. Know, have some patience, Stefan. We, we value you. You know what I mean? It's not that hard to get the ball in the hands of one of your best playmakers. If he is losing his mind on the sideline, let's give him a pass somewhere. Um, like Adam Thielen had eight targets. Stefan Diggs had three. And he was open a lot. Yeah. So did Cousins, uh, you know, the, again, narrative-wise, everybody's like, Cousins can't win the big one? Well, here we go. And he made... Game. Just what? a 1 p.m. It was a 1 p.m. game. We were right. Yeah. Also, it's indoors. And he had an outdoor game, next not week. at 1 p.m. Next week. He's at 4 next week. 4 right? o'clock at San Francisco. There's so something easing, about... Easing back into the... Uh, yeah. Easing into the... the <laughs> into, no, no, credit Kirk Cousins. He's played really well this year. And I wrote in my takeaways this year, let's just, let's step back and take a look at the Vikings during the Mike Zimmer era. We said they've had really good quarterback. They've had solid quarterback play throughout the Mike Zimmer era from Teddy Bridgewater to a solid year from Sam Bradford to a career year from Case Keenum. And they said, that's not enough. These guys who are more conservative, they, they took care of the football really well for the Vikings, but we need a guy that can take that next step, make those big throws, take care of the ball, plus make the big throws. This is why they got. I mean, Kirk it's, Cousins yeah. for those throws. It's ob- yeah, it's obviously an oversimplification to distill the, the gap or the, the difference, the decision to go for Kirk Cousins over a Bradford, Bridgewater, Keenum, etc. to one throw in overtime. Of course. But that effectively... But this is what we're doing today. Yeah, but that effectively is why, right? It's, yeah. Do you, do you think that any of those guys would make that throw? Now, Keenum, you can you know, point to the Music City, or not the Music City, the Minneapolis Miracle and say, kind of. You know, he's at least attempted those throws before, but that's the throw, right? It's yeah. big overtime clutch game situation, transforms the game. Cousins made it again. He's he has the wheels have not fallen off. Like Cousins is still playing at a level higher than I think most people think his baseline exists at. We're going to we're going to get the copycat league quotes coming up soon. You've got uh, the Kubiak Shanahan system here in Minnesota. You have a Shanahan running the show against San Francisco next week. You have LaFleur coming through that tree over in Green Bay. And then you have Schottenheimer in, the, in Seattle. But the whole NFC is, you know, three quarters this outside zone, play action, bootleg scheme. The Rams did it last year. I mean, there's a, it's just, it's going to be one of those narratives or whatever. But I think Cousins has been a good fit in that offense. They've done a nice job scheming it up for them, creating offense, but also, when you have to hit those throws, he did it. There were people talking about Zimmer being on the hot seat if they'd lost that game, which strikes me as insane. So this this happens in college all the time. And for our college fans, Gus Malzahn at Auburn, like take a step back over the last five years and say, has this been a successful tenure? And are you only moving on because you feel like you've maxed out, right? And if you look back, Zimmer's been there since what, 14, 2014? Yeah, something like that. The defense has been... One of the best in the league during that time. In any given week, they're capable of going up against the best offenses. They've got their best quarterback under center. As inconsistent as Cousins has been, and he had a rough 2018 season this year, this is the best quarterback play that they've had. I mean, overall, Minnesota has been a consistently good team, and there's something to that in the NFL. Then you just have to, like, you know, stumble into that run. Yeah, that's so that's the thing is that he is he looks to be able to consistently get together a good, not great, team um and i think some of it is these in-game decisions we were talking about right if you like if you gave zimmer and pete carroll the in-game decision making of a john harbaugh or a doug peterson 
you immediately win them a couple more games in a season and put them in a better situation to run the table in the postseason than you do just having them go by gut feel and you know ultra conservative nature right they would get a dramatic edge but they don't do that so that's a fair criticism one of the things though is that like this kevin stefanski is being talked at as one of these you know new head coaching candidates it's like well do we want to lose him boot zimmer at the door promote him from within let's right. keep him it's like i i think before you do that you need to start answering answering like gary kubiak also came in right which guy is more responsible for the uptick in offensive production, right. right? Well, it's the same thing too. Because like, unless Stefanski is keeping Kubiak as his offensive coordinator, like that's not a slam dunk. Well, then you got to you know figure out who's running the defense, and you have to look the head again. The head coaching job is a lot more than just X's and O's and a couple fourth down decisions, right? Yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole job, man. It's a whole all encompassing job. So the Saints for a tick, they have the same conversation essentially about drew Brees as the patriots have with tom brady so Brees is a free agent again technically yes his contract voids he will be a free agent again and you know ultimately i i think they probably just go back to where they were so they're in a different spot to the patriots because they have essentially been maintaining a succession plan for a few years now and teddy kind of yeah because he's not locked up no well that's the thing they've kind of kept him they've kept him around for a couple of years and i don't know if it's I mean, obviously they've wanted him around, but he appears to have been like, what about, know, if I, if I stay around here, I could succeed Drew Brees. What about Taysom Hill? I mean, if, if Sean Payton has really made the statement that he's Steve Young, <laughs> could you legitimately see? And listen, I was, I was a little critical, not of Taysom Hill. There's a lot of people trying to protect Taysom Hill on the internets right now. I was um, critical of the Taysom Hill packages, yeah. so to speak, because I'm just like, why would you take Breeze off the field ever? Right. And I don't think it was efficient last year. You get a couple big plays here and there. But it is now. For a whole bunch. Yesterday, it was, it was the best stuff that it they has did. has been all season. I yeah, been all season, it's been way more efficient because they're using him downfield as a receiver. He caught the deep touchdown pass. He threw a 50-yarder, all that stuff. But do they truly believe he's Steve Young? Well, so here's the thing, right? One, Drew Breeze. He still has, like, the best PFF grade in the NFL. Now, He's missed a lot of time, so he hasn't played 16 games where that could come down. Um, for the second year in a row, the end of his season, he hasn't looked like the same player. Now, what's more concerning this year than it was a year ago is that he also had a gap in the middle of the year where obviously he hurt his thumb and didn't play. He's going to finish fourth, I think, by the way, right. this year. All Overall. based off this game, essentially. Like he was... No, oh, he was okay. He was okay. The last three weeks, he really tapered off. Right, but was the issue. last... like. Without this game in it, I think he was like second. Okay. Some fourth Close, is yeah. all based off yeah, yeah. what happened on yesterday, Sunday. Um, so he for the second year in a row, he's tapered off. This year, he actually had a gap in the middle of it. So he, it shouldn't have been, he should have been fresh is what I'm saying. He hasn't played too many games right. the way you could make the case for a year ago. So he might have reached the point again where physically, like if he's 100%, he's as good as any quarterback in the NFL, but the season appears to wear on him by the end of it. He isn't when, you know, in theory, you're going to need him the most the postseason. So you're in this spot where, what do we do? Do we bring him back for one last go around, try and win the ring, even though we know that it's going to be harder because he appears to be physically declining or do we let him walk? Do we bring Teddy back and say, all right, you showed enough in the five games this year. You're now the starter. You're Drew Brees' successor, or do they go for door number three, which is 
having seen what a bespoke custom tailored offense is for a quarterback with an unusual skill set in Lamar Jackson, do we create the Taysom Hill offense, which is unlike any offense in the NFL, you are going to do everything. You are going to run the ball. You're going to block. You are going to throw the ball. It's going to be an insane system and you're going to be the guy. The thing is, Taysom Hill and Drew Brees are about the same age. That's the problem. That's hard. No, Taysom's, Taysom's going to be 30 at the start of next year. That's, yeah, that's the awesome. Quarterbacks play to 40 now, so it's, it's fine. It's just hilarious. So I honestly him. think that a custom Taysom Hill offense could function and could function well, particularly with Sean Payton being the guy dialing it all up. Can we just step back for a second and say, okay, Taysom Hill over the last two years is 7 of 15 for 169. So that's where I was going to go next, right? Is that as much as I think it could function, the dude has barely put the ball in the air ever. Yeah. It is funny because I sometimes you don't notice. Like, I'll, yeah, I'll be glancing in and out, and I didn't notice that they put him at quarterback, and I look up, and I just see him, like, fire a laser of the middle. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, Drew, look at that. No, wait, that's Taysom Hill. I mean, the zip is great. Yeah. But yeah. it's just like it's, well, not, it's, like, so it's he, not Drew Brees. You picture him throwing the ball a lot this season, and yet it, you can remember every one of those plays. Yeah, right. I, I think... So that's the caveat to the idea of, okay, we we, we put him as a quarterback and we build a whole system around him. Like, we have barely seen that guy throw the ball. I think you just roll with Drew Brees. You got to bring him back. Plus, the Saints have made a lot of all-in moves in the last couple years, right or wrong. Whether it's going up to get Marcus Davenport, it's pushing cap, it's it's all this stuff. Oh yeah, they've been playing for the Drew Brees one last go-around for about four years now. But I think what what they need to do, too... I, I, my whole off season is going to be like, just get playmakers, man. Just get playmakers. When the Saints have lost in the playoffs the last two years, the offense underachieved a little bit, right? They're they're still very good, but they've underachieved, right? Get Michael. If Michael Thomas is your Chris Carter, you know who's the t- you know the Ted Gid plus. Like it, it, get that get that deep threat, um, to at least. Even if Breeze can't get it to him all the time, to at least dictate coverage, just get more guys for him to throw to. And I think that's the, the way to do it, man. He'll protect the O-line. The O-line's already good. More playmakers build around Drew Breeze. I as uncomfortable as the last couple of years have been. I think it would be a ballsy move, but the right move for them might be move to Teddy. No. You can get rid of Breeze. You can have Teddy for cheaper. And I think use the shop space elsewhere. Yeah. And I, well, not even use, use it elsewhere. Like give yourself relief elsewhere. Um, It's just a matter of how long, how much long-term you're, you're thinking in the future. By all accounts though, Brady said it's unlikely he's going to retire. Drew Brees was, did his usual non-committal. Like we'll see what happens one day at a time type of thing. I don't think there's, I think both of those guys want to just keep going. I'm sure they do. I just think what's happened to him at the tail end of each of the last two seasons is concerning. If you want to win a championship. Now, Teddy Bridgewater is not Drew Brees. Obviously, he's a dramatically worse quarterback overall. Which is worse for your ability to win a championship. Well, except that by the end of the season, if you so they went 5-0 and with Teddy as a starter, right? If you yeah. think you can get to the playoffs, by the time the playoffs roll around, he might not be a dramatically worse quarterback. I disagree. I don't think. I mean, that's, that's like not that. because Teddy's spectacular. It's because Drew Brees in the playoffs right now is not a good quarterback. Well, yeah, he hasn't been. He hasn't been great when they needed him. Right. But I don't know if that means he won't be great when they need him next time. 
Well, neither do I, but given that he's 42 years old, I think there's a pretty good... He'll be 42 next year. Let's get to the last game, Sam. Uh, Update, by the way, on the basketball event. Joe Thomas has liked the tweet. Ooh. That, again, can't can't bode well. Now, is he in Cleveland? Where is he located? No, he's out in L.A. doing the NFL Network stuff, right? Him and Hawk? They do an NFL? Yeah, probably. I think he's based in Cleveland, though, right? Like he, Maybe, yeah. That's it's where he's... Short drive. That's what I'm saying. We'll make, like, make a week out of this it. Is, this is not good. Oh, dude, I will... He has not seen my sky hook. He's got no shot. More my jump hook. Not my sky hook. Dude. Jump hook, both arms. He won't be able to stop it. It's also, by the way, if this actually happens, somebody's going to need to teach me the rules. Like, what's actually allowed and what's Yeah, not. if we're going to have, like, a really big basketball game, PFF NFL podcast versus the Tomahawk show, we, either that, you should probably know the rules of basketball. Yes, either that or we don't, right? And I just foul the living crap out of the whole thing. And we just go, oh, he's, he's Irish. He doesn't know the rules. That's fine. It's that, just maybe a, that's just a we, lot of, pr- I get hit every shot. Yeah. Maybe I that's how we miss. do it. Right. I just foul every time they have the ball. And it's like, he doesn't know the rules. He doesn't know. He's Irish. He doesn't know what he's doing. All right. That's good. I can't wait to see what happens there. I can imagine what's going to happen. Seattle 17, Philadelphia nine. Hmm. I don't have as much to say about this game. <laughs> Somebody, I forget who tweeted out, was like, the poor, the Eagles just need the season to end. They just look like the gas tank is on E. Well, they just ran out of bodies. They I mean, really did. Good for the Eagles. They, I mean, they gutted it out. Good for them. I feel really bad for Carson Wentz. Yeah. He took the shot to the back of the head, concussed. I don't know how that wasn't, you know, a penalty. I thought it should have been. They came out and justified it afterwards basically saying full speed it looked just like incidental helm will come back well, well like my wife was asking me she was like well is he gonna get fined for that i was like i, I can't remember if the nfl doesn't like doing that because it admits it, but i think they do right no, they'll, they do they'll throw fines out and be like well we're admitting we were wrong to we be fair it. so uh, the quote that came out was like the pool reporter talking to the official thing yeah and the official hadn't seen a replay of it since then you know okay. he was just saying look live it looked like incidental helmet contact we didn't think it was enough for a penalty Right. I'm like, okay, fine. I mean, that's very, very wrong, but cool. Um, but that was the game, right? They knocked Carson Wentz out of the game. 40-year-old Josh McCown comes in, and, you know, as much as he was game, dude tried his heart out. I mean, the thing that sums up the week. be the guy to get it done. Josh McCown is the worst of the three 40-year-old quarterbacks that played this weekend, so the chances Philadelphia yeah. was going to win were slim. And honestly, they had a real shot if, if Carson Wentz had just been able to stay in there. Like, yeah. This game came down, it was 17-9 for God's sake. And there was Same a couple score of, as the other game, right? A couple of huge plays for DK Metcalf going up against just disastrous Eagles secondary of nobodies. Like, despite those huge plays, which were inevitable at some point, Seattle has 17 points. Like, if Carson Wentz had been the quarterback instead of um, McCown, you've got to think there's another touchdown in this game for the, for the Eagles. Likely. And they probably... They probably sneak this or at least are in it, you know, like in it with a, a play here or there. Yeah. I mean, Seattle's deep passing game, essentially, I wrote this in my takeaways as well. I mean, that's going to kind of be the key to their playoff success, right? They were inefficient running the ball. They were inefficient in other areas, throwing the ball, but four deep passes for about 140 yards and a touchdown when they needed it. The play action to DK Metcalf, the the zero blitz. And that was fun to watch, too. You're just like. Here it comes. Zero blitz. Russell Wilson's the one guy I just wouldn't do that against. He's got the best touch on the deep ball, yeah. and he re- he's ready for it, man. You see him do this over and over. He's had one of those where he just like floats it up right off the snap, and he knows where it's going. 
this was just perfect. You, the zero blitz, you could see it. That means that there's no safety, and all you're going to do is throw the ball up and let, let a guy make a play. DK Metcalf's like three steps behind the defense, and the game's over. The deep passing game for Seattle flipped the field, made the biggest plays when they needed it. I think that was the story for Seattle's offense. The running game went nowhere. They cannot just hammer that running game home. They got to. It's got to be a Russell Wilson or bust game against Green Bay next week. Again, this was a kind of it, it went the way we predicted it in terms of look. The Eagles have a really good defensive front. They're going to win up front. They're probably going to slow down Russell Wilson enough for their offense to have a shot of winning the game. But because they lost their quarterback nine snaps into it, they weren't able to do that. Um, I think you're right in terms of. Wilson is not the quarterback that I would essentially put in a position where he's going to take a deep shot and you have you. So usually when you do that, you rely on the fact that even if he sees it and takes the shot, it's a low percentage play. Yeah. You're probably not going to make it and you, you're going to win. But he's the best. At right. It. And you're going to win the majority of those right. scenarios. Right. Because most quarterbacks are not going to connect on that. Like when the Patriots do it against golf. I'm right. like, all right. <laughs> like if you do it against Josh Allen, it's like, yeah. okay, even if he gets the pass away. He's going to fire a laser 40 yards downfield. It's going to be seven yards beyond his receiver. We're fine. Wilson is so good at A, being accurate with that pass. B, he throws those deep passes with this perfect rainbow arc that gives his receiver time to adjust to it. Right. So even if it's not a great uh, ball location, the guy is going to have a shot at the play, which again, just increases your chances of making it. Versus, you know, Josh Allen where he fires it in there like a laser. And it's like, look, if you're not on target, it's done. Like he's not getting near it. He doesn't have time to adjust to it. So yeah, Wilson is the last player I think I would put in that situation to, to at least attempt that pass. But I think the Eagles defense did as good a job as you would expect. Um, they did get gashed a couple of times by DK Metcalf, but look at their secondary, right? If you thought that that yeah. wasn't going to happen or that there weren't going to be a couple of big plays in here heading into this game, you were probably too optimistic. You love calling out fans. You're a big guy. You're a big fan caller outer. I took so much heat for dra- you know just saying draft draft a first round corner Eagles or at least consider it. So many people were so content with the Eagles secondary coming into the year, and um, I think it was it was just another weakness this year. Jalen Mills, Avante Maddox. The thing is, they they played well last week against the Giants. Hmm. We like we said, they're just so you just tough to bank on those guys week to week. I was very impressed with what they did in week seventeen, but again, it's the nature of. Of coverage, and, again, you, and, I think, and I was sorry, and I wasn't just saying I wasn't saying here's a first round corner that will definitely upgrade your cornerback situation. I'm saying you got to keep throwing resources at the situation. Avante Maddox could be a fantastic piece of the Eagles secondary next year, but he's not good enough that I'm like, no, I got Avante Maddox, thanks. Yeah, I got Jalen Mills, I'm good, thanks. Like, I got uh, what's his face from West Virginia? Just lost his Rasul Douglas. Rasul Douglas. I mean. It, those guys aren't keeping me from bringing in no. more corners. I liked the move for Ronald Darby this offseason. You know, he ended up hurt and Disaster. struggling, was terrible. But yeah. I mean, that's, I liked the move because it's like, here's a guy who's played well in the past, who's five million bucks or whatever, right? Keep doing that. Keep throwing guys at the situation because um, the Eagles need to, they need to figure out. I know they only gave up 17, right? But they have to figure out that second. So that's the thing. I too. think, again, it's like overall, they did a reasonable job. Like they this did. was a, this was a good game on defense for the Eagles. They schemed it up well. They did get beat a couple of times in the back end, but overall they didn't do a bad job. Um, but secondary is a problem. Like they don't have enough quality players at corner. Um, and because of that, they got gashed a couple of times. But I think this game basically just boils down to the Eagles defense did about as well as they could 
they needed the offense to make a few more plays, but because they were down to A, nobody, and B, now no quarterback because Josh McCown has to come in. They just couldn't get it done. Zach Ertz, by the way, his did you see what he said he played through? So he took the shot last week, which was clearly like, you know, injury to the ribs somehow. Came back, played this week, came out after the game, two fractured ribs, something wrong with the cartilage. They called it a fractured cartilage, but I'm pretty sure cartilage can't be fractured. So two broken ribs, wrecked cartilage, and a problem with his kidneys, and then he was pissing blood. Hmm. Um, he must have been on all of the painkillers heading into that game. Like the tore it all shot that they offered me when I went to the... You had a fake broken rib and you couldn't do anything. Well, I had the cartilage thing, right? So whatever he had with the cartilage, I had that. And I couldn't cough without wincing in significant pain. Now, I never had the Toradol shot. Maybe that would have helped. But I can't even imagine playing with two broken ribs on top of that and whatever kidney problem caused, you know, pissing blood. That, I mean, for him to be out there is insane. Yeah, these dudes are tough. Um, but, you know, again, like your, your main playmaker, that's the state he's in in that game. Right. Like Dallas Goddard. Robert Davis, Greg Ward, the same stuff we've been saying for weeks. For them to even make it this far was a minor miracle. Yeah. They have nothing to be ashamed about. They just ultimately went out. Too many bodies went out in their shield. We don't have the official numbers. And, you know, games missed numbers are always skewed by, like, when guys get hurt. Right. But this has to be one of the worst injury situations I've ever seen, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. It is just atrocious. All of their playmakers, oh, they, they all of their offensive linemen at some point had yeah. something besides what Kelsey and, you know, they Sam really Malu. did just run out of bodies. I mean, they, they are the, the Eagles this year are the equivalent of the, uh, the Spartans in the 300, you know, just arrows raining down upon them. And ultimately they, they just succumb to the weight of incoming Persian death. That's the Eagles. Yeah. Well, that was the Seahawks. Hmm. Persian death incoming. Seahawks got a shot next week in Green Bay. I mean, they have a shot, but I think they have their own injury problems. Like the, in, the Eagles, their own the, line held up okay. I mean, they didn't run, they didn't create anything in the run game. But like George Fant, I've seen worse from George Fant at left tackle. Jamarco Jones, I've seen worse from him at left guard. I mean, they did okay. Joey, poor little Joey Hunt. Yeah. See when he gets bull rushed against Fletcher Cox, it's just well, that's just me. I love Joey Hunt, but the can't do yeah. it. The Seahawks would have been seen as having an injury crisis if it wasn't for the fact that they were being compared to the I know. Eagles I know, right? who ran out of bodies to even play the game. Um, like they are pretty banged up as well, which is why I just think they're going to struggle overall in this postseason. Green Bay's defense, like they have some corners in the back end. Yeah. So those shots to DK Metcalf probably aren't going to be there or at least they're going to be tighter contested. Um and they have the same, not quite as good, but the same kind of defensive front as the Eagles in terms of they're going to get a ton of pressure. So Darius Smith, Kenny Clark, right? Like they're going to, they've got the horses to cause major problems for the Seahawks offense. So everything that the Eagles did well, the Packers are capable of doing well as well, except instead of Josh McCown, a quarterback, they've got Aaron Rodgers and they can make some plays themselves. Yeah, should be a good one. We'll hit all, all of them on Thursday. Do you have anything else on this uh, four o'clock game? Poor Eagles. Seahawks took care of business, and I think you know we're headed to the divisional round with with four really nice games. Yeah, I think so. All right, that'll do it for us this week. We'll be back. We'll be back on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Easy for me to say. Preview uh, Thursday, Friday, previewing all of the divisional games. Yeah, and then we'll start getting into some off season stuff. Right. 
talk some free agency, all sorts of stuff for all the, you know, the other teams that are out. Yeah. 24 teams are out. In so. the meantime, we have to do some extensive basketball work in the Y because apparently we might have to take on two former NFL players. <sighs> I got to teach you the rules. In pretty short order. We got this. Dude, Hawk, he's got no shot. If he drives to the hoop, he's not getting the ball over me. And like, what is Joe Thomas even good? You have no idea if he's good. Is he? I think that Hawk, with his vertical, could get higher than you and your vertical. No. You start with a foot Stop advantage it. over him. Let's see, five, six? Actually, more than a foot. You foot in height, six. plus whatever your reach is. I was an undrafted free agent. Don't. You probably have a two-foot reach advantage over him, and I think he could reach higher with his vertical. I got my new sneakers, though. I dunked easily the other day, you know, because my sneakers, I... Easily. I'm better. Easily. Easier than before when you miss the dunk. All right. Well, we're waiting to hear from Hawk, Joe Thomas on the challenge two on two and or just, you know, join our group for uh, for noon ball Cincinnati. Why? We're yeah. ready to have you. Hmm. Right. Yeah, we're ready. Yeah. All right. So we'll be tracking that this week. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Thursday. Get to PFF.com. Grab your PFF elite. Go check it out. Premium stats 2.0 is all the grades from the playoffs. Talk to you guys Thursday. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.